John. Welcome to the Post Sermon Podcast. I am Deaconess Dahlia, and with me today is Pastor Adam. Hey, Deaconess. How are you doing? I'm good. We have a host again for the show. I know. How'd it go um, recording alone? Uh, I just kept looking over the microphone, and there was <laughs> there was no host uh, to talk with, so I'm glad you're back. Well, I did miss recording and this um, having these podcast episodes, so it's good to be back and hosting again. And someone who knows the script of the show, so I'm really glad you're back for that too. <laughs> Okay, so let's discuss your sermon from this past Sunday. What was the reading that you preached on? Uh, This comes from Luke chapter 1, and we had a special day in the church here, which is known as the Visitation. And so this is when Mary goes to visit Elizabeth. Uh, We hear about John leaping in the womb of Elizabeth, and we also get the Magnificat. So this is a very well-known passage. Yeah, but well-known around Christmas time. I know, I was thinking, it does kind of feel odd that we remember the visitation now. Yeah. Is there any significance to that? Yeah, uh, that, that's a good question. So it's not just uh, Christmas in July. That was a thing, you know, way back in ancient Judea. That's not it. It's just thinking about the story of Christmas uh, when Mary is told earlier in chapter one that, hey, you're going to be pregnant with Christ, uh, but also your cousin Elizabeth, right? She's already in her, was it her sixth month? Is that they said already? Yeah, so I'm going outside the reading, and so just to reiterate, uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 36, Gabriel speaking to Mary, Behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her, who is called barren. So she's already pregnant for six months at that point. The next section is the reading for today. Mary goes over there, and by the end of the reading, says she stays there for three months. And so the fun question for us today, Deaconess, is was Mary there for John the Baptist's birth or not? I don't know. Yeah, we don't know. You don't know. And what's fun is we're on the one-year lectionary, and it seems to imply, yeah, she was. If we were in the three-year lectionary, this would have been this day would have been observed at the end of May, which is kind of fun. And so they would kind of say, well, no. And John the Baptist's birthday, we observe just recently, was June 24th, because that's six months before Christmas Eve. Oh, okay. So well, then that's why. Yeah. yeah. So that's just uh, all sorts of weird chronology stuff, but yeah. Uh, we are getting ready for Christmas and these are the events leading up to it, which is why here we are Christmas in July. So I have a here submitted question about this reading. Any significance to the length of Mary's stay with Elizabeth for three months? Yeah, and I think that ties to just this, these previous points. Answer is, well, I don't know. It says it in the text. And, you know, did she just stay up until the time when John was born? And so Mary was present also for Zachariah's voice to come back and his prophesying about John and all these things, I, I don't know, uh, but she was with her relative for that time. Very good. So now going to your sermon, what was your sermon central teaching? Uh, the sermon central teaching is that joy has come to the world in the womb of Mary. And that's a capital J, joy, because it's Jesus. And it is fitting at the end of your sermon, everyone's saying Joy to the world, right? It was hard not to think of that hymn while writing. And I was like, well, might as well we just end on a joy to the world. Well, when you just said your focus, too, is joy has come to the world. How do you not think of that right. hymn right away? Right. Yeah. And it's fun because, yeah, it's a Christmas hymn, but it's also a, an end of the church year sort of hymn. Just there will be the, you know, there will be uh, no more sin and sorrow. There will be no more thorns in the fest of the ground. I mean, everything is going to be put right. And so it is Christmas. It is the last day. And we're kind of caught in between in this time of the church here. What was the problem that your sermon sought to identify? I was looking at dealing with um, 
how we can misuse this reading from Scripture. Right? It's a special day, the visitation, and it's easy to take readings out of context and whether intentionally or unintentionally malign them for our purposes. And so sometimes this reading, uh, for instance, will only get used to make like doctrinal points and defenses about, well, Mary's the mother of God and the incarnation, Jesus really has flesh. And these are all really good verses to keep in mind and to go to. But it's so easy to get caught up in, in the doctrinal bullet points that we lose sight of the narrative of Scripture. And so that's one concern of how we can misuse the the reading. And the other is when this reading just gets used as a sort of um, protesting, pro-life sort of reading. And in my case, I think it loses the tone of joy that's found in the reading and uh, how the scriptures are written. The tone of them matters as well, too. So which one of those you want to deal with first, Deaconess? Well, I am curious about the role of Mary in the church. You mm-hmm. had brought that up mm-hmm. about how sometimes we either overemphasize who she is and almost make her, didn't you say like co-redemptrix? Yeah, not us, right? But it has happened in church history and even our Roman Catholic friends will, right, will yeah. talk in this way. If it's official teaching or not, I, I recognize that. But there is definitely an over-elevation of Mary within the Roman context or even just the, the praying to Mary so she can tell her son things for us on our behalf as opposed to recognizing uh, Jesus died for his mother too. And at the same time, uh, we're not, we, we can't fall into this over-correction. Like, you know, our society is, if I don't like your viewpoint, I have to take the exact opposite. That's not good. Um, we don't want to go so far as to diminish Mary and not speak of her rightly as she is the mother of God. You know, Elizabeth speaks in this way. I mean, she, the God of the universe who created Mary was also conceived in her womb by the Holy Spirit. And that's the incredible miracle of the incarnation. And so just to reiterate, it's important to know these verses. It's important to think of the doctrines that they speak of, but the doctrines only matter because Christ matters more. And it's easy to lose sight of the story of scripture and the story of our salvation for the sake of bullet points. And I don't think that's a a faithful way of handling uh, the scriptures. And to just use your expression, like these bullet points, I think another bullet point that you had brought up in your sermon kind of went with like the pro-life arguments of like taking that one verse um, of John the Baptist leaping in Elizabeth's womb. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, a marvelous, marvelous verse. And, and you can see why uh, in that in that cause and movement, why that is a really profound verse of just seeing, uh, you know, John the Baptist leaps in the womb at, you know, hearing Mary's voice and hearing of Christ and all this. It, you can see why that gets used. And my concern is often uh, the tone is is removed and it's the tone of joy and elation and it's turned into this sort of kind of angry protest. And of course, as Christians, we care about the fifth commandment and upholding it in all arenas of life. Um, and yet, so often in our fervent defense against breaking the fifth commandment, we can find ourselves breaking other commandments as well or misusing the scriptures. And that's kind of the idea that I was dealing with. Right, instead of putting that verse in its proper place of just, like what you said, reminding us of, the joy that's there. Right. And, and we all know this, like you can be right in an argument, but how you carry yourself in the argumentation matters too. It's the cross of Christ that's offensive 
not God's people in their demeanor. And that makes a huge difference. Right. And we're never going to win people over by what we know either. But, you know, how we how we love them, right, through our actions. Absolutely. And it's also, um, just on the side note, I find the pro-life, pro-choice sort of language kind of uh, a challenge in its rights talk. And I don't like that sort of speaking about the topic. I'll link an article by Stanley Hauerwas about um, the the flaws of either of those, but how, as, as Christians, we're to be people of hospitality, which means, of course, uh, we are always uh, welcoming more and more people into our community and into the church, because that's what it means to be the church. And I find that much more persuasive in how we speak about these issues. And w- much more inclusive, if you will, too. Like, obviously, we love and cherish unborn children, but we also love and cherish those parents, right, and the extended family and just everyone um, in that situation. So right. I think I, I do appreciate that article. I think it does a good job of being hospitable to all people in right. their different contexts. Right. And and all of that is grounded in the promise of uh, the son of Mary bled and died for every single one of us and for every single sin that was committed. And his forgiveness is just as powerful and just as real for all of us too. And that joyful good news can get lost so easily in the pursuit of making our point and citing a Bible verse. I wanted to bring up, um, in your sermon, you talked about this painting of the visitation that was in 1518. Was it by Raphael? Yeah. Is that right? I was just curious what that, that painting looked like just because we didn't get to see it. And I know you had sent me a link, so I got to see it, but um, was there a reason why you... I'm pretty sure I saw folks pull out their phones during the sermon and start Did looking. Really? Yeah, yeah that, that happens. And so I know that's a risk of mentioning something and not showing and not it. not showing it, yeah. Yeah, because I didn't really want to focus on Elizabeth and Mary no matter what. But I really like the detail in the background of Raphael's painting where you have the baptism of Jesus in the Jordan. So there's John the Baptist, there's Jesus, the Father looks down from heaven. I mean, the reading is about the first meeting of John and Jesus. Like, that's really cool. And those two are uh, so connected in the story of salvation and connected by their mothers as well. Uh, that's that's why I wanted to bring that up. And so I thought instead of displaying the painting, which would prominently put Mary and Elizabeth in, the, in, the, in front of us, I rather wanted to direct our attention to uh, John and Jesus. How did you intend to benefit your hearers in their faith or life? I wanted to direct my hearers toward... Uh, by virtue of our baptism, we bear Christ, which means we also have the joy of Christ in our lives and that we take Christ and his joy with us in all sorts of encounters and situations and even our own visitations with one another. And I want to invite us to think more uh, fully about when we engage with one another, uh, whether another brother or sister in Christ or whether it's someone outside the church, we, we bring Jesus with us. You know, it's kind of the, uh, uh, you know, the unbeliever doesn't see you not as a Christian. You know, and so we, we can get to the whole topic of hypocrisy and those things, but also I wanted to emphasize that we do bring the joy of Christ. And I was thinking about this, um, we're working through what, Second Corinthians in my Sunday morning class, and Paul makes this really cool point that as, as Christians, and, you know, we're in triumphal procession, uh, for us, it's this fragrance, and there's like incense and stuff and all this, but it's this, it's this, fragrance of life but for those 
you know, who are defeated and all that, it's a fragrance of death. And it might be something to consider that the joy of Jesus is truly joy for us, right? We are elated about this good news that God is setting the world to rights in his son. And yet for others, the joy of Jesus, the good news of Jesus doesn't feel like good news. I, I kind of like thinking further about that. I didn't go all the way to that in the sermon, but I think it prompts us to that, that wherever we go with Christ, we, you know, we bring Christ we also bring his joy, which for some is is truly a joy, but for others it's it's a word of condemnation. It's a word of law. It's a word of uh, how are you not rightly related to this Jesus? I like when you brought up about bringing joy to other people, and then you gave the example of going to shut-ins to yes. visit. And not just that you brought joy, but that they too bring that same joy. Yes. Uh, it's Deaconess, you can speak to this too. It's not uncommon when we will visit with shut-ins that at some point in our in our times with them, you know, in and out, that uh, is there something I can be doing for the church? You know, that question will come up and, uh, you know, we'll encourage them to pray for one another. Or if maybe we have some sort of, you know, task, whatever we can hand off, that's, that's great. But like, um, I guess I wanted to speak to that when we visit our shut-ins, it's not just a, a one- this is not the one-way direction of care and that we benefit and receive care and joy um, from our brothers and sisters in Christ who can't always be with us on Sunday. And so I just wanted to speak to that a little bit of um, it's not just those who visit that bring the joy of Christ, you know, even those being visited bring that joy into that meeting as well. Yeah, I love that. I mean, everyone, regardless of age or what they're able to do or not do, they are humans um, made in the image of God and our gifts just by virtue of that. Um, so, I mean, I think in that sense, when we visit, like just the fact that they, they are gifts and they, they do bring joy to us when we visit and to, you know, other members as well and people in their lives that they get to see. Um, I know it can be difficult to not feel to do what you used to be able to do. Um, but yeah, just their, their presence and wisdom and whatever, um, you know, whatever happens in the visit is, is definitely a blessing, I think, to, to both of us. Yeah. I don't know. And I also think of like, we recognize this with children or like a newborn baby, like what joy they bring us, but they don't really do anything for us. Right. <laughs> like we're the ones like caring for them. Um, I don't know. We can easily recognize that with like younger ones, but I mean, I think that's the case for whatever, Wherever, whatever season of life you're in, whether you're a, new, you're a newborn or you're a teenager or adult, an older adult, like that joy that a baby gives you, like, I don't know. I think that's the same for any a human can yeah. give people joy. And I think just maybe at a, a more general level, it's just this idea of by virtue of you're my brother, sister in Christ, it is good that you're in my life. And that's just by nature of our baptism that we have that connection and to see each other in that way and it, it is good that we are together and not even just think like Sunday morning you know it's good that that person on the other side of the sanctuary they don't always talk to because you know they're 10 pews away it's good that they're here too because they bring the joy of Christ for me and I for them and there's I don't know there's I think there's a lot that we can explore with this idea and so yeah I thought about starting with the shut-ins and I thought the podcast would be a good time to invite folks to think further on this too yeah, and I don't know. I think something else you you get to experience is just their their love and their thirst and hunger for um, the sacraments for communion is always a blessing to get to see and just 
um, I think an encouragement for all of us in the faith, just how they hold it so sacred and good for us to, you know, see that example in our own lives. Absolutely. So Deaconess, do you think uh, Mary was there when John was born or not? Yes, I think she was there. Sure. Why not? Why not? I mean, it makes sense. <laughs> um, and I, it's really cool to ponder and just imagine if she was there and just um, the joy that she brought Elizabeth and vice versa and actually get to see God's promise in that baby, John the Baptist. So I don't know. Yeah. And even just on a level of how did Luke find out about this stuff? Right? How did he find out about Zachariah's song? You know, was Zachariah still alive by the time Luke wrote his thing? Or maybe because Luke talked to Mary and Mary was there. So there's some oh, of those yeah. thoughts too. You know, she treasures sure. up all these things and ponders them in her heart. You get that refrain. Um, I love that. Yeah. yeah. And it's kind of interesting to think of those first chapters of Luke is uh, you get Mary's account of things. And then Luke starts doing other investigating beyond there. Well, very good. This wraps up our episode for today. Thank you for listening to our discussion. Hope it was joyful. In case you missed today's sermon or you'd like to listen to it again, the link to the sermon's in the show notes, and you can also find the sermon on our church website, stjohndublin.org. And if you, the listener, would like to submit a question about a sermon, please email us at podcast at stjohndublin.org. And you also have a link for the Harawas article too, yeah, yeah, in the show notes. It, about talking about ha- hospitality. Yeah, it's a really good article. I'd be glad to talk about it with anyone. Very good. Well, thank you, Pastor, for joining me and for feeding us the word this week. Thanks, Deaconess. All right. Take care, you guys. Bye. Bye.